0: hey everybody we're the boys from overdue He's Craig I'm Andrew Thanks for saying my name <laughs> Wow I thought you were gonna say it and then you didn't I didn't we have a treat for you today It's a feed drop Andrew what's a feed drop it's a uh, when one podcast releases another podcast's episode on their feed, and thus cross-pollinating their audiences. Yeah, like science. Did I sell it? Are you interested <laughs>
1: in the concept now?
0: Yeah, I am. We have a feed drop this week from the folks at Storybound. It's a show we've talked about before on the show. It's, it features contemporary writers reading essays, poems, and fiction and stuff. Um, and it, the, each one has like a immersive sound design and musical score. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's hosted by Jude Brewer, and it features readings from Mitch, Album, Stephanie Dandler, Lauren Groff, and more. In this episode, Andrew, Craig. features Tommy Orange reading his story Copperopolis. Uh, mm. Orange is the award-winning author of There, There, which explores themes of Native people living in urban spaces, particularly Oakland. Uh, and it's a cool story. I listen to it. It's uh, it's kind of atmospheric and tense, um, but it's... I don't know. There were some lines that made me laugh, which yeah. was surprising, given how tense some of it seemed. <laughs> There's also a cool score uh, from composer and audio producer Ryan Dan. I do think we're going to put the explicit tag on this one, because Tommy does use some adult language. Jeez, Tommy. Yeah. Uh, and if you want more, Storybound is brought to you by the Podglomerate and Lit Hub Radio. Season 3 just launched, and you can listen by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to our show, or wherever you're not listening to our show wherever you know. you're listening to this thing that we put in our show's feed <laughs> you know the drill it's feed drop <laughs> you know how to listen to podcasts go do it enjoy the show
1: this is Tommy Orange and you're listening to Storybound
2: welcome to Storybound presented by Lit Hub Radio and the Podglomerate I'm your host, Jude Brewer. Coming up in one minute, you'll get to hear Tommy Orange read his story, Copperopolis, with an original score by Ryan Dan of Holland Patent Library. And if you stick around until after the credits, you'll get to hear something special. So let's settle in for the show.
1: On my days off, I walk the narrow blacktop roads of an area called Diamond 20 in the small town of Copperopolis. We're in the foothills of the Sierras now, just barely still in what can be considered Northern California. The sun's right above me, pressing on the back of my neck. I reach back and cover it, keep my hand there. It's the middle of the day in the middle of the summer, which out here means it's hot as hell. I'm just coming back from one. A hell. Or I'm still in one and I've gotten so used to it I started calling it something else. No, this isn't hell. It's just fucking hot. The heat here is dry and mean and everywhere. It crushes, seeps, floats up in waves like smoke from the pavement. Gets into the brain. Slows thinking. I pass under the shade of an oak and look down at my... Shadow, which is joined by the shadow of a tree. So mangled by or mingled with branch shadows, it becomes a new thing. The shadowed object, like and not like me or the tree, the blending of images only possible where light can't be. The shine of gold and tall dead grass makes me think of the people who came to these hills for gold, the rush to get to it, and then thinking of that time Thinking of those miners makes me think of Indians, who would have been here and been seen as in the way. I'm thinking of Native people here because I am one. Not full blood, but enough. We Natives are always looking for our presence in the absences. I look up on my phone whether there were ever Native Americans in Copperopolis. There's a small entry on an abandoned website about signs of human settlement dating 10,000 years back. Human remnants, it says. This makes me think of remains and how we use that word to describe people who haven't remained at all, but left what time didn't get at all the way. I look up as if to get out of the gloom of that thought and see turkey vultures circling what must be something dead or dying nearby. I think about how things must stink worse in the heat. There's a big field of tall dead grass the vultures are circling above. The stalks of yellow move a little from a hot wind that instead of cooling me, just reminds me of how hot the heat is. I find that I'm swaying a little like the grass. I look down and watch my mangled shadow sway. My four-year-old son, Alex, isn't old enough to know how to be afraid of me the way the rest of my family is afraid of me. He still runs up to me when I come home and I bend down and he holds my big head in his arms. He's just learned to say I love you. He knows what it means to say it and uses it sparingly so that it keeps its meaning. As for my ever-understanding wife, Anne. We haven't talked about what happened very much because when we've tried, something between us opens up too wide for us to know how to speak across it. My mother and father-in-law and my sister-in-law and her two girls, they either talk about me like I'm not there or they don't talk about me at all. Never mind, talk to me. I'm a haunt they're afraid to be afraid of in front of because of what it might do to me. I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to talk to me either. I'd tried for a voluntary exit before my time had come with a razor. Voluntary exit is too clinical or noble-sounding, a euphemism here, of course. Before my time had come isn't right either. Time and its length, the one we're given, is an elusive thing. There are exits everywhere for those of us who, actively or not, look for them. A train or approaching bus, 22 too many drinks, a sharp object, anywhere. Much less common are entrances, ways in. Like the day we had our son. There in the hospital on my knees holding the bed rail and listening to the machines and my wife's breathing. There was paper constantly being printed out that showed the contractions, their size and length, like we were measuring earthquakes. There was something that made sense to me about how cute the pain seemed to be for my wife. Why that was part of birth, like a blow to the body from within. A magical wound from which a human boy came out. Things were good for the first several years of his life. Everything he did was a miracle. Sure, he was incapable, a mouth. But I didn't know what love was before he came. Not that kind of love, anyway. Before Copperopolis, those first few years after he was born, I was still telling people I was a poet. And then, to the expected follow-up question, no, but what do you do for a living, I'd say, videographer. Which wasn't a lie, but it wasn't exactly true, either. I hardly made a living at it. I've been ready to sign a significant contract with a Native nonprofit to produce promotional videos for their website. Then that job and a psychotherapist position my wife had lined up at the same organization fell through at the last minute after a sudden tribal leadership change. When we moved in with my wife's family in Copperopolis. I'd just been released from the hospital after going at my left wrist with a razor in the bathroom I was supposed to be cleaning in order to move out of our house in Oakland. I'd thought about suicide plenty before trying it. As it goes, it was the razor's angle in the bathroom, that little blade on the sink, square and flat against it like a self-destruct button i just then realized I could press. So I pressed it in deep than across a dark purple circle appeared in the middle of my vision as I went to the ground later that spot would return only white and not dark purple the bright white of stars away from cities in a new moon sky or like the sun looks with your eyes closed after having stared at it too long When I was on the way to the hospital, I felt untouched by the dark purple spot, and yet maybe about to enter it at the same time, levitating above its grasp, its gravity. When my wife found me on the bathroom floor, she told her mom, who was there to help us clean and move out, to take our son for a walk in his stroller. It was time for his nap anyway. The ambulance ride seemed buoyant to the point of pleasant before I passed out from losing too much blood. I don't remember any of what happened in the hospital. When I came to, my wife was rolling me out to the parking lot in a wheelchair. I felt refreshed, born again, as if into a new life. I got a job as a sandwich artist at the local subway. It's the first time I'm being paid and acknowledged as an artist. The subway is in a sort of shopping complex designed to look like an old-fashioned town like maybe from the 50s, except everything looks brand new. There's a giant clock tower in the center of the town square everyone calls New Old Town. I've recently taken to sucking on pennies and contemplating bank robbery. The pennies because there was an especially shiny brand new one out of a roll I broke to make smaller change for an impatient man with a sandwich I'd just made in his hand, lightly slapping the sandwich against his palm like a cop's baton. As he left, I popped the penny in my mouth and sucked on it. It didn't taste like I thought it would. It tasted good to me. Thoughts of... Robbing the local bank came to me after I made a cash drop for the first time the other day and noticed there was no bulletproof glass between the customer and the teller. I didn't know they still had banks like that. Robbing a bank didn't seem crazy when I thought about it. It seemed reasonable. I need to provide for my family more than I need the discounted sandwiches and day-old cookies I get to take home for free. My son loves the cookies and says it wrong like the Cookie Monster, says his own name wrong on Sesame Street. Cookie. 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 In the new life, everything seems allowable. The star white hole is there every time I close my eyes. I've started to think of it as a cell. I've been thinking if I could split the cell, something important might happen. I close my eyes more now, fascinated by the details I can sometimes make out inside the hole. It sort of shimmers at its edges. Or the edges blur if I stare too long, like it's reacting to my staring at it. My coworker Sam, caught me with my eyes closed and accused me of sleeping on the job. Late night, he said, smiling and lifting his eyebrows like people do to suggest you got into trouble or something. No, I was... I started. He was laughing. I get headaches and it helps when I clench my eyes shut. Oh, he said, his smile gone. He went to the back to make more bread. I'd requested for my green name tag to say Thomas, which is my author name, Thomas Blaine. But my manager told me they, Subway, like to use shorter names on name tags. So it says Tom on my name tag. I didn't know if this was to save money on letters Or because shorter names indicate a casual kind of friendliness and familiarity. Do I take putting sandwiches together as seriously as I do my poems? The scaffolding is similar. You begin the build in order to begin to build the order. What kind of bread? Toasted? No two sandwich orders are the same. Variance is the constant. Of course, poems aren't asked for or ordered. And how do you build a life? My life had felt like it was building to something that came apart, which I'm now attempting to rebuild behind sneeze guard glass. You are listening to Storybound.
2: And now for a short break. now we return from our break.
1: I'm lying in bed awake because I can't sleep. It's too hot. There's no AC here. It doesn't cool down at night at this point in the summer. I'm with my wife and son. We just have a sheet over us. I think they're asleep, but then hear them both shift in bed in a way that feels to me like they're awake. I don't know though, and don't want to wake them if they're asleep. They might be awake thinking the same of me. Tom, my wife says. She can always tell when I'm awake. You can't sleep either, I whisper. It's that damn fly, she says with real, actual hatred in her voice. Mm -hmm. I haven't noticed the fly. Me too, Mama, our son says. So he's been awake too. All of us lying there, in silence. Something about it is so sweet and sad at the same time. I start crying without meaning to. What happened to Dada, our son asks his mom. I don't know. Maybe he really loves flies and jokes. And this makes the boy laugh harder than I'd have expected. We all laugh, and Ann gets up and turns on the light, carefully stepping around the room, listening and looking for where the fly might land. I wipe my tears and sit up, looking for the fly too. There, the boy shouts, and points to the mirror where half a dozen flies are squashed from earlier in the day my wife is an excellent fly hunter you have to be still then swift without hesitation she gets the thing and it doesn't squish but gets knocked against the glass then falls to the ground she steps on it and i see the boy in my periphery look at me for a reaction to the death of the fly it's okay dada he says flies don't live long anyway I smile at him in a way that tells him I'm not sad about the fly. It goes silent after that. Something about not living long anyway. Something about it being okay to die because of a shorter life makes me and his mom remember. I look up on the internet how to rob a bank without a gun. I watch a YouTube clip about a guy who robbed 20 banks by just writing a note. And learn that bank policy requires that they give over the money. Be compliant. No questions asked. Even if no gun is present. I write several drafts of the kind of note I might write. This is a bank robbery. Put $10,000 in the bag and no one gets hurt. I analyze the note. Wonder at its faults. I want it to be plain and clear what is happening and how much money I need. But this, no one gets hurt. There's something beautiful about the idea of no one getting hurt. Also delusional. I want to strike that part of the robbery note and save it for a future poem called No One Gets Hurt. This is a robbery. robbery. Put 10,000 in the bag or else. Or else. I can't help but question this, or else. The threat, as vague as it is, trite. And this else, else isn't specific enough. Else can be so much else. Do I need to declare this a robbery? I research more about bank policies and gunless robberies. There's a strict adherence to non-violence being the most important possible outcome even if no gun is present. Sometimes customers don't even know what is happening while a robbery is happening bank policy and training ensures there is no scene or risk taking I need brevity and clarity I'll shoot if you don't give me 10,000 I read the finalized note out loud I'll shoot if you don't give me 10,000 it's terrible it's the night before I'm going to attempt the robbery We're all eating dinner together. Someone's put on old-sounding country or bluegrass. The way everyone is smiling at first makes me suspicious, like they're trying to make me feel better. We're having homemade Chinese food. Anne's dad is Chinese, grew up in Hong Kong. The kids are all laughing at something on YouTube. Anne's parents are in the kitchen. She catches my eye and smiles at me, in a way that we sometimes smile at each other to say I love you without having to say it we clink our glasses of rosé when she gets up to go help in the kitchen I wonder about whether maybe I was making it up all along that they didn't want to talk to me or that they think I'm too fragile maybe it's just that we're new to living together in the same space they've let us stay here in their home they cook and clean for us The feeling doesn't last clarity never does i go back to thinking about the money what it could mean i never consider jail time or getting caught my plan is to say it was for a book of poems i'm working on i'll tell them i was researching i've even written some poems to show as proof alongside my notes for the robbery the book will be about stealing and greed and hunger for gold about how this whole country is based on theft of land, and how much that all has to do with this region, this gold country. I can't sleep again. Alex and Anne fell asleep watching a movie out in the living room. My eyes are closed. I stare at the white light, Figures and shapes start to appear inside it, and I wonder if this is me falling asleep or getting a deeper understanding of the hole's insides. Had I torn something open in me? Stared at a strange star too long? While I was wherever you go that memory can't come back from? In the hospital, after losing all that blood? I clenched my eyes tighter, and what's inside the hole is the hospital room. It's Alex and Ann playing in the chair next to my hospital bed. They're playing a game where he hides something and she pretends not to know where it could possibly be. It's the game where he tells her it's magic, with a mischievous smile like we both know it's not, but let's pretend you don't know. The rest of the family comes into the room. Everyone we're living with now. Everyone I thought forgot about me. I feel stupid. And selfish. I try to focus harder on the whole see the scene but just as I do it all goes away and the hole is just white again my wife comes in carrying our son he's asleep she lays him down between us I was gonna do something really stupid I say and there's a pause she's wondering if I mean something else do something really stupid again She's wondering if she even wants to have this conversation. What am I asking her to carry? It's not that, I say. What then? It's nothing. What? I'm not going, I say. You're not going to what? I said I'm not going, I say. To do something stupid. I mean, I'm sure I will. But not that, again. No. Good, she says. We need you here. What are we going to do, I say. Things will change. They always do, she says. Not all change is good. Well, when it seems it can't get worse, the odds are better. True. Let's get some sleep. Do you ever see the image of the sun when you close your eyes, even if you didn't look at the sun? What are you talking about? You mean like the floaty things you see when you close your eyes too tight or jam your fists into your eyes? No, this doesn't float. This stays right in the middle. In the middle. Yes. Okay, well, you can go up to the Indian clinic if you're worried about it. I'm not worried. Well, maybe you should be. Thanks. I'm kidding. I was gonna rob the bank. What? With a note. You're tired, Anne says. I couldn't get it right. Everything I wrote down was awful, I say. You've been writing again? I guess I have.
2: This story, titled Copperopolis, was written and performed by Tommy Orange, first published in Freemans, California. The musical score for this episode was composed by Ryan Dan of Holland Patent Library. Make sure you check out the original comic for this episode, drawn by Shane Milner, which is now available on our Instagram and Twitter at StoryBoundPod. We would also like to thank Maya Solovia for her scheduling assistance, as well as Tim Carplus for mixing this episode. Storybound is arranged, produced, and hosted by me, Jude Brewer. Our executive producers are Jeff Umbro of the Podglomerate and Justin Alvarez of LitHub. This show's theme was developed by Grain Table, and thank you to Modestus Mancus for this outro sample. You want to tell us what you think of the show? Well, you can find us on Twitter at StoryBoundPod, or you can tweet at me directly at Jude Brewery. New episodes are released every Tuesday. Next week, we'll hear a story from Lauren Groff. And before we close out, I would like to share a passage of something that, uh, well, this was written during a time to uh, comfort a friend who was going through a great deal of mental duress so here it is isn't it interesting to think that you can be having the worst day of your life while someone else is having their best just think how wild is it if that other person that someone else is also you You can be staring in the mirror contemplating on ending your life. Meanwhile, you are also staring in the mirror in disbelief at how rich and how joyful your life feels. It's like the morning after a terrible event where you ask yourself, did that really happen? Only now you are simultaneously experiencing both, but you aren't feeling both. It's more like sitting in the middle of a long, dark tunnel with no light at the end, wondering if you keep walking, will it eventually appear? And there's a version of you that's already seen the light, or, or in the light, like living in different time zones. Because the night is coming for us now, but it's already left those on the other side of this planet. They're living tomorrow, while we are still facing today. Maybe it's best to think of ourselves as little planets, passing through our seasons because there's only one way to get to spring, and that's through a harsh winter, a mild fall, a dry, relentless summer. We would love it to be cool and sunny and fresh and green all the time, but you can't have the green without the gray. You cannot suffer loss if you do not know the joy of having everything you could ask for. You cannot live without having not lived for most of eternity. But even as we are not living, there is a version of ourselves still very much alive. We are never gone completely. We are simply here and there all the time. Thank you again for listening this week, and we hope to see you next week. Take care of yourselves until then.